I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The reaction continues to pour in after a Supreme Court draft uh, opinion from Justice Alito that would, in effect, overturn Roe v. Wade was leaked to the press. Uh, there's been all kinds of reaction coming in, and some people are trying to look beyond that, wondering what comes next. If that actually becomes the opinion, if that becomes the ruling of the Supreme Court of the land, uh, then what happens? Uh, one area that I think uh, we often overlook in this whole process that is an important is uh, an, an, an expected surge of children being put up for adoption and foster care. Uh, what, is, what happens in that space? And is the United States and our the social services and foster care, are they ready for that kind of surge? How would they have to adapt and look at that? Uh, really grateful to have Patrick Brown uh, on the line with us today. He's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Great to talk to you, Boyd. And you have a lot of, of focus in terms of, of foster care and social services. So before we get into any potential ramifications coming out of a potential Supreme Court ruling, uh, give us just kind of the lay of the land first. What is the state of the nation when it comes to our, our foster care and adoption services here in the U.S.? Well, it's something that's gone through a period of, of not so benign neglect. Um, you know, for a long time, certainly in pre Roe versus Wade, um, you know, foster care was something that was really an important part of the, the U.S. system and, and how we you know, provided as an option for, for moms who found themselves pregnant but unable to, um, take care of, of their child. And so, you know, you know, adoption and, and foster care were really essential, uh, components, uh, you know, and obviously, uh, the world changed in 1973, uh, and so since then, uh, I think both parties have kind of had an interest in uh, not always keeping your eye on the ball when it came to making things like adoption and foster care, um, you know, as pro-trial and pro-family as possible. And so now, as you know, uh, as, as this Dobbs case winds its way towards a conclusion, and we have the possibility of, of you know, protecting uh, unborn kids uh, from, from the you know, lethal violence of abortion, um, we are going to have to really put some effort into thinking about what options are there for moms um, who recognize that, that, you know, it might not be the right time in their life or their, their financial circumstances just don't allow them to 
be able to to uh, raise the kid that they're going to give birth to. So, you know, whether we're talking about adoption and, and making it easier for parents who are, who are pursuing adoption to do so, or whether we're talking about improving um, the, the system of foster care, um, you know, in states across the U.S., I think that's something that politicians are going to have to really put some effort into. Yeah, and so what are some of the things that you see uh, that are kind of the real clear steps one, two, and three in terms of how do these services have to change? Well, it's really difficult to generalize because each state runs their foster care system in, in different ways. And mm-hmm. so what's, what's right in a state like Utah may, you know, may be working well, uh, but other states like Illinois or, or New Jersey um, can be plagued with uh, not enough foster volunteers uh, houses that aren't necessarily, um, you know, the best place for kids and, and, and sometimes, uh, a, a system which makes it harder for kids to, um, get back to their, you know, their birth families when, when they, uh, when the situation is ripe. And so, um, again, I, 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 you know, it's hard for me to say, you know, what's going to be right in, in any given circumstance, but, but it, it is going to be important for politicians to be working with child advocacy groups and, and, and thinking about, ways that we can be, um, you know, expanding the, the choices available to moms based in a, unplanned pregnancies and making sure that, that when they give birth, you know, when you, when you carry someone in your room for nine months, you, you, you can't help but form, uh, you know, an emotional bond to that child, even if it's, if it's someone who you, you know, aren't able to care for at that moment, uh, if there's, you know, drugs or violence or, or financial stresses that, that, that prevent that. And so making sure that those moms are able to, to feel that connection wherever that child, that, that best place for that child ends up being, I think is something that, that is, is really important to stress. Yeah. Now, Patrick, I know you're following a, a new foster care bill. Tell us about that and how it could impact uh, children, especially children in abusive homes. Well, uh, yeah, in, in D.C., they've got uh, this bill that um, I think it might might make it. Uh, there's always going to be some perverse incentives uh, to, if, if you give too much power to, to institutions like like uh, you know, child protective services. You, you don't want to you don't want to be too quick to pull the trigger on on a, a bad situation. Well, but obviously everyone has an interest in, in safeguarding kids, and so uh, you know D.C. I, I, I think has the wrong approach in in terms of. Uh, putting the balance too far in, in one direction. But I, again, I think you know, th- this is the, the great thing about the U.S. is, is you know, there are, you know, states uh, are the, you know, as, as they say, the laboratories of democracy. And there are other states uh, like Florida that I, I think are, are um, you know, putting their money where their mouth is in terms of, of things like child support and, and increasing support for kids who were in foster care, making it easier for them to, um, you know, in, increasing their, their, their stipend and, and increasing their, the generosity of some of the student aid and, and educational opportunities for them once they're coming out of the system and, and, and prioritizing them uh, in some of those opportunities. I think I think that's where we should really be focusing our efforts, recognizing that the kids who are in, in the foster care system are going to need a little more attention and not be so so quick to just to just um, you know sort of insert the government's you know hand into in certain circumstances. Yeah. Anything else we should be aware of or be watching for in the coming days? Obviously, we'll continue to watch how things uh, play out at the Supreme Court. Uh, anything else you're hearing or sensing back there that uh, might be instructive to us as we uh, move forward? Well, I mean, the, the, like you say, the 800-pound gorilla is what's going to happen with this week uh, and, and how that changes, um, if it changes the court's uh, logic and, and how, how we expect things to be handed down. I do think that if you see uh, Justice Alito's opinion uh, get carried through as, as was written, um, you know, uh, you're going to 
see some creativity on the part of, of politicians responding to that. I think hopefully in, in some productive ways, recognizing that just clamping down on abortion uh, access can't be the only answer. If, if you're a truly pro-life party, a truly pro-life society, you need to be providing resources for, for moms to, to reduce the demand for abortion as well, whether that's something like paid leave or child care assistance or a more generous child tax credit. I think you'll be seeing some ideas come out from, from some expected and some unexpected sources down the line. Yeah, and I think there's also an important conversation to have of kind of the upstream uh, components, you know, when, uh, when uh, a woman is placed into that situation where they have to make that decision uh about a life uh you you think of all the things that maybe could have been helpful upstream a little bit as opposed to just waiting until we you know we get to the fence and the and the edge uh is there anything else on the horizon in terms of you know support services or uh uh, training or or classes or or anyway a a whole host of things that could be helpful upstream so that we, uh, again, find us ourselves in a very different place uh, when it comes to someone uh, who has to make that choice. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always ideas and, and, and different policies. And, and I think, you know, I, you know my, my bread and butter is talking about policy and, and I don't want to oversell the importance of policy. You know, these are obviously things that the culture has a huge impact on as well. And so changing uh, changing the culture to, to make sure that moms know that, that they have other options is going to be really important. I think one thing that can, the policy can help with that is by making sure that, that moms who do find themselves in this situation feel that they have a, 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 all the support in the world, right? So whether that's from, um, you know, social services and, and nonprofit organizations creating that sort of network of, of resources and assistance to, uh, it, you know, or it can be the father of the child too, making sure that, that he has the tools he needs to, to stand up and, and, and provide for that new family that, that um, yeah, he has responsibility for. Again, I, I mentioned Florida's legislation, uh, which was passed uh, earlier this month, which um, really puts a lot of resources behind uh, state programs trying to, uh, you know, get non-custodial fathers uh, engaged in the child support system, uh, making, like, building those relationships with the, with the birth mom and making sure that they're uh, there to support them both you know, financially, which is important, but also just as equally important emotionally and being that role model for their kids. So I think those kind of things where we're recognizing that that is not all, you know, money does play a factor in the choice to choose sure. abortion. I think, you know, about a you know, poll show about a third of abortions, uh, uh, moms say that, uh, you know, pregnant women say that, that they felt like, you know, financial stress was a reason why they made that choice. But that leaves open a lot of other uh, reasons that go into that. And, and some of those can be changed by you know, institutions taking seriously uh what it would mean to to make sure that that women who find themselves in unexpected pregnancy situations have the tools and, and abilities to to ad- adapt their job adapt their schooling uh where you know whatever stage of life they're in to to be accommodating to uh, a new a new life um and i think that is a, a really pro-life uh, sentiment that, that people should be adopting uh, fantastic patrick brown fellow at the ethics and public policy center always appreciate uh, patrick's perspective we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break when we come back we're going to go back to something that came out of the congressional budget office yesterday uh, and why we have got to have the conversation about our debt now we're going to have it next stay with us a gun in the face then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone 
and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.